receive and for that. Let us all stand as we worship this evening. We are here for our God. We are here for Him. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together just to, again, commune with you. Thank you for being with us throughout the week. And I, I pray, Father, for this, our service this evening. I pray, Father, for your anointing. Jesus, that you speak with us, commune with us, Lord Father. Thank you for being with us already. Focus our attention to you and your word. We love you, Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to John's Gospel, the third chapter. And I'd like to read the first 12 verses with you, and we're going to spend our attention looking at these verses this evening. So John chapter 3, and I'd like to read verses 1 through 12. John 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know when we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And I'd ask, Lord, that as we stop and we pause at these verses this evening, that you would open my mouth to be able to speak your word. You'd open the ears of each one of us to hear that word. You'd open our hearts to accept it. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The meeting, the meeting of Nicodemus with Jesus was not by chance. Nicodemus planned it out. He wanted to meet with Jesus. And so he plotted out the time and the place when he could meet with him. In verse 2, we read the time of their encounter. Nicodemus came at night. Now, we must not overlook the significance of the fact that John tells us 
that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, that he came at night. If Mark or Luke's Gospels told us that this meeting occurred at night, we could probably read it and not think any more about it. But this is John's Gospel, and John loves symbolism. He loves to use words which carry a meaning deeper than their face value. He sees a deeper meaning behind the simple historical happenings. And so he chooses his words carefully. No, we mustn't overlook the significance of John's observation that Nicodemus came at night. Sure, the meeting undoubtedly took place during the nighttime hours. I do not think we need to doubt the historical validity of John's account here for a second. But for John, it must have had a deeper significance. Did you know that every time John mentions Nicodemus in his gospel, he reminds us that this first meeting of Nicodemus with Jesus took place at night? John mentions Nicodemus three different times in his gospel, and each time he tells us that when Nicodemus had met with Jesus earlier, they had met at night. For John, then, the fact that Jesus came to Jesus at night must have had a special significance. But why does John make such a point out of the fact that Nicodemus came at night? John, the master of symbolism, obviously sees a deeper meaning behind the fact that Nicodemus came at nighttime. I'm not exactly sure what you think of when you think about nighttime or darkness, but I can think of at least three different things. First of all, when I think of darkness, I think of evil. There's a popular song back in the early 70s which talked about evil and darkness. The song went like this, evil grows in the dark when the sun can't never shine. Evil grows in cracks and holes and lives in people's minds. Boy, isn't that true. Evil flourishes in the night and in the dark. In one of Jesus' parables, he speaks of darkness and the light. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Darkness and night can refer to evil. But I don't think this is what John had in mind. While Nicodemus may be slow to understand the words of Jesus in our passage, there is nothing in John chapter 3 which intimates that he's coming to Jesus with evil motives or intentions. There are two other meanings for darkness which I think may be more appropriate for what John wanted to symbolize. Night or darkness is often a symbolic word for blindness. For, the, for John, those who do not understand, those who do not understand are in the dark. They are lost. They are blind to God's actions of grace and love. One of the true tragedies of life is the way many people seem to choose darkness instead of light. The other meaning which night can symbolize is secrecy. Things which are done at night are done in secret. In this account of Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus, it is obvious that Nicodemus came in secrecy. He did not want others to know that he was meeting with Jesus. He wanted to meet with Jesus and talk with Jesus and listen to Jesus, but he wanted to do that in private. In a sense, Nicodemus was on a secret mission. On the one hand, he wanted to meet Jesus, but on the other hand, he didn't want anyone to know about it. And so he came at night, 
He came in secrecy. And if we have understood John's symbolism correctly, he came with his eyes blinded to the work of God in Christ. Why do you think Nicodemus didn't want anyone to know that he was coming to see Jesus? Why do you think he came at night so that no one would know? Who was Nicodemus anyway? Well, John actually gives us some rather interesting information about Nicodemus in this chapter. First of all, John tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, I know for us today, we think of a Pharisee, and we think immediately, oh, that's bad. You know, that's if we have kind of the, the play going on, so we have all the crowd going hissing and booing because he's a Pharisee. But that's not the way they looked at Pharisees in the first century. In fact, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus was one of those Jews who truly took his faith seriously. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus was determined to adhere to the law meticulously. In doing so, it was important for him to avoid contact with anything or anyone who was unclean or who did not understand and follow the law the way it should be done. But Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of the most prominent Jewish men. They formed the ruling council of the Jewish community. A public meeting with the nonconformist upstart Jesus could turn into a scandal for Nicodemus. And so John tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. But John tells us something else about Nicodemus. John also says that Nicodemus was a teacher. There is even reason to believe that Nicodemus was perhaps one of the foremost teachers of his day. In verse 10, when Jesus expresses his amazement at Nicodemus' slowness to understand, then Jesus says, how can you not understand these things? You are the teacher of Israel. Now, there is some disagreement among New Testament scholars about these words, but the Greek text seems to point out that Nicodemus was more than just a teacher of Israel. In the Greek text, it looks like Jesus uses an emphatic form of the masculine article here. In the Greek text, it looks like Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you are the teacher. I suppose we could understand that as Jesus saying to him, Nicodemus, you're the man. You're the man. You're the one that everyone in Israel looks to for understanding and wisdom. You aren't a teacher. You are the teacher of Israel. And you do not understand these things? And so here we see Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. More than this, if he was not the foremost teacher of Israel in his time, he was certainly one of the better known teachers of Israel. Of course, if Nicodemus was such an important person, maybe you'd understand why he thought he needed to come in secrecy in the first place. I mean, if he was so important, he could have come to Jesus whenever he wanted to, couldn't he? Well, I'm reminded of a story which I read about Nikita Khrushchev during his years as premier of the Soviet Union. Nikita Khrushchev denounced many of the policies and atrocities of his predecessor, Joseph Stalin. Once as he censored Stalin in a public meeting, Khrushchev was interrupted by a shout from a heckler in the crowd. The man called out, Hey, Khrushchev, you are one of Stalin's colleagues. Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you say anything then? Well, Khrushchev roared back, Who said that? 
An agonizing silence followed as nobody in the room dared move a muscle. Then Khrushchev replied quietly, and now you know why I didn't say anything back then either. Even for a man of status like Nicodemus, such a meeting with Jesus carried risks. In the eyes of the world, a meeting of the famous Nicodemus with Jesus could only mean trouble. Such a meeting, meeting could only be misunderstood. Nonetheless, he came. Sure, it was at night. Sure, he didn't want anyone to know. But most importantly, Nicodemus came to Jesus. It makes me wonder what it is that makes it difficult for you to come to Jesus. What are the things that make it difficult for me to come to Jesus? What obstacles stand in our way? We have just seen some of the obstacles which Nicodemus had to overcome. But what are your obstacles? For some of us, we are afraid of what someone might say. Maybe we are afraid of looking weak or perhaps looking unintelligent. Maybe you're concerned about being laughed at. It's never fun to have to stand alone. But what is it that so often prevents us from encountering Jesus? Well, it doesn't matter what those obstacles are. We can't let them stand in our way. We need to come and meet Jesus. I wonder what Nicodemus expected to hear from Jesus. I think it's interesting to look at the conversation which took place between Nicodemus and Jesus. Of course, I don't think that what we read in John chapter 3 is an entire transcript of what they said to each other that night. No, in his gospel, John only has room to give us a summary of what was said. He undoubtedly picked out the high points of the conversation, those segments which had burned their contents into his mind. And so here was Nicodemus. As we mentioned before, Nicodemus was probably a very renowned teacher, perhaps the most popular teacher of the time. But look at how he addresses Jesus. In verse 2, we read that he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Isn't that right? ironic? Here we have this great teacher, Nicodemus, and he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. What do you think Nicodemus expected from Jesus? What did he expect to hear? Why did Nicodemus even come to Jesus? It certainly wasn't in order to tell him he's a teacher. As I look at this passage, and I see about what's going on here, I personally believe that Nicodemus was testing Jesus. You see, Nicodemus himself was a great teacher. He was undoubtedly versed in the traditions and the philosophy and the teachings of the Jewish law. When he heard of Jesus, and when he saw what Jesus was doing, he was curious as to who Jesus really was. And so he encountered Jesus on his own, on Nicodemus' own terms. In a sense, I think he challenged Jesus to a discussion or a debate on his own terrain. I mean, what could be easier? Nicodemus was a great teacher. Jesus himself calls him the teacher of Israel. And so here we have Nicodemus. Hey, Jesus, I hear you're a teacher. Let's have it. Give me your best shot. You're a teacher who comes from God. Okay, then, Jesus, what is God's word for mankind? What is the essence of God's message? And as Nicodemus approached Jesus, 
I'm sure he thought to himself, I'm not really sure who this guy thinks he is. But on my terrain, if it doesn't match up, he doesn't stand a chance. He doesn't stand a chance. And so John tells us how Jesus replied. Jesus said, Nicodemus, here's how it is. It's really quite simple. Unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm not sure what Nicodemus expected, but Jesus' response obviously caught him by complete surprise. Nicodemus was stunned. He didn't really even know what to say. The great teacher was speechless. The popular teacher of Israel didn't have an answer. Who would have guessed it? But you know what? We are so much like Nicodemus. Just like Nicodemus, so many times we think we know all the answers. Just like Nicodemus, I think that many of us expect and want to hear that an encounter with Jesus will not really change our lives all that much at all. Just like Nicodemus, I think that many of us believe that we can learn a couple of good lessons from Jesus, and then we can just apply these lessons to ourselves as we see fit. And so we think that meeting Jesus is essentially a matter of five easy lessons in self-improvement. But Jesus says, no, no. It's not a matter of a little change here and a little adjustment there. You must be born again. The kingdom of God demands a complete change. Nicodemus was amazed. It was as if he didn't understand a word Jesus had said. Born again? Born again? How can I crawl back into the womb of my mother and be born again? But you know what's so strange about this story? If you read through the Old Testament scriptures, Nicodemus really shouldn't have been surprised by Jesus' words at all. In essence, the message of Jesus is the same message which we find in the Old Testament. What am I talking about? Well, let's look at it. Look at the prophet Ezekiel, for instance. In Ezekiel's prophecy, God declares to the people of lost Israel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. These words point to a new beginning, a new creation, a completely new heart is demanded and needed. In the Psalms, we find the same message. In Psalm 51, David comes to the same realization that a total change is necessary. David prays to God, create in me a new heart, God. Create in me a pure heart. Jeremiah also spoke of the necessity of a complete change. He wrote, can a person change the color of his skin? Can a leopard change its spots? No, it's hopeless. A complete change is necessary. And Jeremiah foresaw a time when God's people would have God's, God's law written upon their minds and upon their hearts. It's a new creation that's necessary. Jeremiah speaks of a complete change. The message of new birth, the message of a new creation, is no stranger to the Old Testament. The prophets and writers of the Old Testament return to this theme time and time again. But the question comes to us then, why was Nicodemus so startled by this statement of Jesus? Why was Nicodemus so confused? Why do you have a hard, such a hard time understanding what Jesus was saying? Especially 
when you consider that Nicodemus was a great teacher of Israel. If no one else understood, certainly he should understand. And even Jesus seemed puzzled by Nicodemus' slowness to understand. Jesus said, you are the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? How is this possible? And I think that Nicodemus made the same mistake that many of us make today. As a matter of fact, I believe that the problem that Nicodemus had is a problem that threatens each one of us right here at this Bible college. As a great teacher, as perhaps the great teacher of Israel, I think that Nicodemus had become so busy gathering knowledge about the kingdom of God that he had forgotten to gain experience in the kingdom of God. You see, salvation and participation in the kingdom of God is not a question of knowledge. It's not a kind of proficiency test in Christian doctrine. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I think it's important for us to learn as much as we can about the Bible and about the teachings of Christianity. But when you get right down to it, the knowledge is of secondary value. It's not what you know that makes the difference. It's who you know that makes the difference. We have to meet and know the living Christ. And knowing Jesus Christ personally is like being born again. It initiates a complete change in our lives. You know, I can relate with Nicodemus very well. Nicodemus had gotten so caught up in the business of learning about God that he had forgotten to be a person of God. He'd gotten so caught up in following the law of God that he had forgotten to follow the God who made the law. Does this sound familiar to you, or is it only me? As some of you might know, I finished my doctorate in New Testament studies at the University of Leiden in the Netherlands. And as funny as I was going through that process, that many people would say, wow, that must be so exciting, studying the Bible, and, and so inspirational, studying the Bible. But it wasn't at all. In fact, my study had very little to do with faith and the Christian life at all. I was engaged in a scientific study. It was my task to literally dissect and cut up Christian teachings and to trace them back to their origins. There's great value in doing this, but it's a scientific study. One of the important topics of my study had to do with the death of Jesus. In various letters of Paul, we run across the saying, Christ died for us, or Christ died for our sins. This is one of the basic beliefs of the Christian faith. And so for my study, I went to work on this creedal statement, Christ died for this. And so I read this statement and analyzed it, Christ died for us. And I read it again, Christ died for us. And I looked at its different meanings, and I read it again, Christ died for us. And do you know what happened? At a certain point, I knew so much about this statement that it hardly had any personal meaning for me at all. It had become dry and lifeless and virtually meaningless for me. It's terrible, but that was the task that I was involved in. It was a scientific study. I think this is what happened to Nicodemus. He'd become so busy with the facts that he had forgotten the experience. He'd become so busy with the words 
that he had forgotten the message. But you know what the good news here is? God's not content to leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. In the midst of my study, a scientific study, it was amazing. From time to time, God seemed to break through to me and remind me, Dan, do you still see what you're reading? Christ died for you, Dan. This is not just an early creedal statement. It's what I've done for you, Dan. Christ died for you. I did it for you. And I can tell you, I've had moments when the presence of God seemed to surround me. I have sat in the middle of the library of Leiden University, a library that holds over three million volumes with people everywhere. And the truth of those words overwhelmed me. Christ died for me. I've sat at a table in that library and wept with the realization what that means when God's presence showed it to me again. Christ died for me. This is not just a creed that needs to be memorized. This is a truth that needs to be experienced. And so Nicodemus is not the only one who made this mistake. We do it too. Sometimes we become so busy trying to figure out what Christ means for the world that we forget what Christ means for us personally. Jesus wants to break through those barriers. He wants to speak to us personally. He wants to meet with us personally. And so Jesus did not embark into some abstract theological debate with Nicodemus. I think this is what Nicodemus wanted and actually expected. But Jesus didn't begin a debate with Nicodemus. He wanted Nicodemus to look at his own life. You can know all about the kingdom of God. You can look at all the experiences of God-seekers past and present. But unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. In essence, Jesus said to Nicodemus, You are a teacher, Nicodemus. So what have you learned? What have you done with your knowledge? What is the foundation of your life? In order to enter the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In one of his books, Randall Denny tells the story of a fighter pilot during World War II. During one of his missions, the pilot found himself surrounded in the air by several enemy fighter planes. Suddenly his plane was hit and burst into flames. Though he'd been instructed on how to use a parachute, he had never actually jumped with one. In telling the incident to a friend, he said, I knew I had to jump. I could not pull the string at once because I was surrounded by enemy planes. And so I had to fall, waiting until I fell into the clouds before pulling the cord to open the parachute. His friend was amazed. I don't see how you could do it, never having done it before. I could do it, the pilot answered, because I knew it was my only chance. It was my only chance. Friends, there's only one way to be the person God has called you to be. You must be born again. This is our only chance. There's not an option B. There's no alternate plan. Our only chance to enter the kingdom of God is to confess our sins to God, to repent of those sins, and to be born again. And so you need to ask yourself this question. What are you enrolled in this college to become? 
I really do hope that you are learning lots of facts and ideas about who God is and what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. But this is not enough. It's not enough. If all we are doing is accumulating facts about the Christian faith, I'm afraid that we will fall into a darkness which is, which is just as dark as the night in which Nicodemus came to see Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is asking us the same essential question he asked Nicodemus. What are you doing with what you have learned? You're studying at the Bible college. Great. But what are you doing with your knowledge? What's the foundation of your life? What kind of a person are you becoming? What are you doing with what you've learned? Jesus says to Nicodemus, and he also says to us, in order to be the person you were meant to be, you must be born again. It's my prayer for each one of us here that we will not just be involved in a task of learning. The education is certainly important, but even more important is that we do not lose sight of the goal. What kind of person am I becoming? What am I doing with what I have learned? God wants us to be true men and women of God. And so Jesus is asking us the same question he asked Nicodemus. So you're a great student. You've learned all kinds of truths and lessons about the kingdom of God. That's good. But what are you doing with what you've learned? You must be born again. That's your only chance. That's the only way. So this evening, what about you? Have you been reborn? Don't let your studies make you think that knowledge is the way to salvation. We must never forget that there's only one way. You must be born again. I know this might seem like some of a, of a, of a strange message to have with Bible college students. But one of the things I realize is sometimes we can run ahead of ourselves. And if we think that somehow that through our knowledge, through our grasp of what's going on in biblical books and in theological traditions and all these different things, that somehow that's going to bring us into the kingdom of God, we need to put on the brakes. And remember, there's only one way. There's only one way. We confess our sins to God. We repent of our sins. And we allow our lives to be made anew through Jesus Christ. We're born again. So I'm not sure where you're at this evening. I hope as I tell you this message that each one of you is going, I know exactly what he's talking about. And that's happened. But if that's not happened, if you're not sure about that, Tonight's the night to make sure that true life, that new life, begins in your heart, in your life. Just like Nicodemus, knowledge isn't enough. We have to be born again. Make sure you do that. Amen. Heavenly Father we, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that your grace is such that you don't want to leave us where we're at. Do you want to make sure we cover the bases, that we begin at the beginning, 
and that we're born again. And so I thank you for the victory. I thank you for the change which that brings in our life. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit's presence who accompanies and helps us in that. And so, Father, we go from this place. We go with that song of joy in our hearts, that you are our king, that you love us, that you've forgiven us, that we are children of the king. And we give you thanks, and we give you praise, and we sing with joy. You are our king. Amen. Let me remind you that um, Dr. King is going to be in the back and he's going to be signing um, commentary books. You can buy them. It's a great price. Um, one of the things I didn't tell you is the normal price of these books is $29.95 and you're getting them for a special deal of $17.75. Great job. It's my commercial at the end, right? Um, and so you'll certainly want to take that opportunity and uh, buy a commentary and also have him sign that for you. The Lord bless you. Go in his presence. Go in his power. Amen.